0: Mike, you can join me this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Hebrews chapter number 2, and um, this morning we'll actually begin in chapter number 1 and verse 14, and then we'll read down to uh, chapter number 2 and verse 4. I'll be reading from the ESV version of the Bible. Verse 14: Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have learned, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, As we discussed a few weeks ago, Hebrews 2 has a few different implications to it. The first implication that we addressed was to the unbeliever, and these four verses are a warning that they not refuse this great salvation that has come to them through Jesus Christ and the gospel. We know that uh, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God not of works so that no one can boast. Salvation is a gift that God gives us. It is based solely on his grace. It is based on his goodness towards us, not our goodness towards him. It is not built around anything that we have done or accomplished, but built around what Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for us. The same grace that we experience at salvation is not only have implications for our salvation, but also has implications for our daily living. It is a warning as well to the believer in these four verses not to drift away from or neglect the salvation that we have received. The salvation that has changed us or transformed us is the salvation that we are also to live by. The grace that we were saved by is the grace that we're to live by. Our attention this morning will be on the grace that sustains us, not the grace or um, we will not focus on on the same grace that saved us, but we'll focus on it from the perspective of sustaining us and um, getting us through this life. And we'll see how we can avoid neglecting it or drifting away from it. And um, specifically in this passage of scripture, it deals with neglecting it or... Um, um, moving away from it as it relates to going back into legalism or ceremonialism. The people in Hebrews were, were struggling because they had been saved by God's grace, but they were now uh, struggling with the desire to go back into the law and to be um, sanctified, possibly, to be made righteous by the works. And so the salvation is by grace, but, but now they're being motivated or encouraged to move back into works And um, that works would be what sustains them or works would be what sanctify them. There's a note to this that's important. The drifting or neglecting of the grace that saved us has no impact on our eternal security. Okay, the drifting or the neglecting of the grace that saved us has no impact on our, our eternal security. What it does impact is it impacts the strength by which we live our daily lives. It impacts the strength by which we function each day, by which we move closer to God and serve him and live out the righteousness that he has planted within us. The scriptures tell us in Philippians 2, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we work out that salvation by grace. And it goes on to say, for it is God who works in you both the ability and the desire to do that which is pleasing to him. So the challenge this morning is is not to drift back or to to drift away from that which saved us and not to move away from it or to become so comfortable or lackadaisical in our salvation that we lose sight of the strength of the grace of God that saved us to be the same strength that sustains us each and every day. I want to go to a parallel passage, if you'll join me there, in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 1. The Apostle Paul deals with this in the book of Galatians uh, thoroughly, and I'm just going to look at a few passages, if you want to join me there, we'll look at Galatians 1 to begin with, in verse number 6, the Apostle Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning or turning to a different gospel. In other words, the call of God's grace to save them, and they had received it, now they're drifting back into some of the legalistic ways um, that they had, some of the patterns that they had before they were saved. He goes on to say, "Not not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Turn over with me to chapter number three of the same book. Beginning in verse number one, the Apostle Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, in this verse of passage of scripture, we see the same principles being applied and being taught. The the salvation by grace, but the moving back or the uh, temptation to move back into um, living in the power of the flesh. Chapter number 4, verse 8 Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you return back? And let me just make this statement. It is more important that God knows you than that you know God. Knowing God is a result of him knowing you. And when he knows us salvifically, when he claims us for himself, when he puts his stamp on us, when he um, makes us a part of his family, he knows us, and then we begin the process of knowing him. And that's the reason why this portion of scripture makes emphasis on him knowing us more important than, than us knowing him. He goes on to say, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that you have labored, we have labored over you in vain. Again, he refers back to the um, going back under the law again, the, the traditions, the worship of days. Chapter number five, the Bible says in verse one, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you accept one part of the law as a means to your salvation, you are then um, making yourself uh, uh, judged to keep the whole law, required to keep the whole of the law. If you look to one part of the law as, your, as a means to your salvation, in other words, one work that you've accomplished becomes the means of your salvation, the Bible says that at that moment you become, you become required to keep the whole law, which Scriptures are very clear that no man has ever done or ever will do other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible says, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves um, eagerly wait for the hope of salvation. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. We see this parallel taking place between these two passages of Scripture or in these two passages of Scripture of this temptation to move back under the law, to move back into works and that those works become the, the means um, not of our salvation, but they become the means of our sanctification. They become the source of our becoming righteous. I've heard ministers say before that you are saved, your righteousness in salvation comes as a gift from God but your righteousness and sanctification becomes because of your works. This is error. This is, this is, this is heresy. The salvation that we experience by grace for salvation is the same, uh, same righteousness that we experience by grace in sanctification. It is the work of God in us, and it is the work of God through us. And Satan would want nothing more than to move us back into the realm of the law to put us back under the bondage of the law and cause us to find or to seek to find comfort and rest in something other than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Remember, the supernatural grace that saves an individual eternally is the same supernatural grace that strengthens an individual daily. Eternal deliverance has the same source as daily deliverance. And it is the grace of God. The question that we will answer this morning and seek to unfold from our text is, can a believer be as confident in daily victory as they are in eternal victory? Can somebody be as secure in the Lord delivering them from the temptations that they face each day as they are that he will deliver them eternally from eternal damnation? Can they be sure that the righteousness that he has given them or preserved for them eternally can be something that they seek and pursue to live out daily by the grace of God and be confident that it is his grace that will sustain them in the process. The answer is yes. We can be confident in living out the righteousness that Christ has put in us. But this answer is only true for those who are diligent in keeping their focus on Jesus and being strongly connected to his word. This morning, we'll look at five things from our text. Number one, what is this grace? Number two, where does it flourish? How do we forfeit it? Where is it found, and how do we foster it? So if you'll turn back with me to our text in Hebrews 2, maybe you haven't turned away from there, but we will be there for the remainder of our service. First of all, what is this grace that we experience in salvation We find the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse nine when he talks about that he had a thorn in the flesh that was was sent to him by God to buffet him each day and to make sure that he remained humble because God was going to impart to him a special uh, blessing of wisdom, gonna give him a special message and that the Lord sent a messenger of Satan to buffet him. The Apostle Paul prays That he would be delivered from this messenger, this buffeting messenger, this uh, cause of strife and difficulty in Paul's life. And the Lord says that he will not deliver him. He prays three times and the Lord responds with, my grace is sufficient for you. So in other words, the Lord tells him that grace is not that which delivers us from our problems, but grace is what strengthens us in our problems, Grace grace is what causes us to persevere in the difficulties of life that he has put in front of us so that we might grow, we might become stronger in the faith, we might become more dependent on Jesus Christ, not less dependent. The Christian life is not a motivation to become less dependent on Jesus, but it is a constant push to becoming more dependent on Jesus. It's not about us becoming stronger in our flesh so that we no longer need Jesus. It's about us becoming weaker in the flesh so that we daily need Jesus. But we become stronger as we learn to lean on Jesus, and it's not our strength that we become stronger in. It is the strength of Christ working through us. And we no longer see ourselves as strong. We see ourselves as weak, but we see Christ as strong. And Christ's strength is what's going to sustain us and get us through the difficulties that we face. It is Christ's strength that takes three Hebrew children and puts them in the midst of a fiery furnace and then brings them out on the other side and they don't even smell like smoke. It was not their strength, it was His strength. And they depended on Him, they, they, <laughs> seeked, they, they sought to favor Him with their obedience. We see this in Job and Joseph and Daniel and David and the three Hebrew children, Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles. Biblically speaking, most Christians weren't delivered from facing difficulty or trials, but they were strengthened and enabled by the power of the Spirit to to face those difficulties victoriously, to walk through those things as winners and not losers. And the only way that we're able to do that is by seeing Christ in these things. There are two terms in our text that are describing of what this grace is. We looked at these a couple of weeks ago, so I'll just share them with you and move on. One is escape, and the other is great salvation. Escape just simply means to flee away, to seek safety, or to escape. You can apply it in a number of different ways in the Christian life. The reality of it is, is we escape temptation. We don't escape temptation by the power of our own strength. We escape temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. If you're trusting in your own strength to to escape temptation, you are probably falling a lot. If you trust in your own strength to escape sin, you're probably falling a lot. If you're trusting in your flesh to escape discouragement and bitterness, and anger, and lust, and greed. If you're trusting in your flesh to escape these things, you're probably not going to make it. But there is hope in the grace of God that we can escape these things by the power of the Spirit and not by our own strength alone. And then the great salvation just means great and mighty deliverance, perseverance, or or safety. And again, these are not things that are... It's not meant to be that we're going to escape the difficulty. It's that we're going to get through it. Um, The scriptures tell us, and I'm going to draw a blank, James 1 and verse 12. The scriptures tell us that if we endure temptation, if we make it through temptation, there's a crown waiting for us in heaven. He tells us in the same text to count it all joy when you go through various trials. These things are not meant to be escaped. They're meant to be endured. But not not endured in our strength. And not endured for our glory. But they're meant to be endured in in the strength of God, in the strength of Christ. And they're meant to be endured for his glory. Listen to what the scripture says at the end of chapter number 2 and chapter number 4 of this this book. Chapter 2 and verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted... So what is he setting forth as an example of this? Who is he setting forth as an example of this? Jesus is an example of this. He who who suffered, he because he himself has suffered when he is tempted is able to help those who are being tempted. He, Jesus, is able to help those believers who are going through temptations, who are going through trials and tribulations, who are going through heartache and pain. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. It's it's not because we are something. It says in the verse before that, chapter 4 and verse number 15, we have this great high priest. And then it is as we trust in this great high priest and depend upon this great high priest that we are given this great strength. And help and grace to get through the difficulties in times of need. So this this grace that's spoken of here in our text is a a grace that is, is, is Christ helping us. It's Christ persevering through us. It's Christ persevering in us. The Apostle Paul explains it well in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10 where he says, For by the grace of God I am what I am. Apostle Paul says, basically, I am, I, am a, I am a Christian by the grace of God, but the grace that was given to me was not in vain because I labored more than anybody else, but it wasn't me who labored, but it was the grace of God laboring in me. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, I realize that my salvation is 100% of the grace of God, but I worked really hard after I was saved to, to be sanctified, but I realized that all of my work after my salvation was the grace of God as well. And ultimately, at the end of the day, who do, who do we glorify? Who do we honor when we, when we succeed? If you've, if you've succeeded in your own strength, who, who do you praise? You Praise you. But if you, have, if you have won because you have depended on the strength of Christ, then at the end of the day, you kneel down and you say, Thank you, Lord, because you have given me the victory. The only victory that we can have is in Christ. So we see, first of all, what is this blessing? We see, secondly, the Bible says, he says in verse one, therefore we pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Just highlight that word heard there, lest we drift away from it. For since the message, highlight the word message there, if you take notes in your Bible, declared by angels, Proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just recompense. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared, highlight the word declared. Okay, you're getting the idea here that this all is coming through a message. This grace comes through a message. In the Old Testament, it was the message of the law. The angels brought the message of the law. You see in verse number 14, 14 that he brought the message he communicated with us to help us, to serve us, to serve those who are to inherit salvation. He goes on in the end of chapter number two to talk about it a little bit more thoroughly that the Lord doesn't, isn't here to help those who are angels, but he's here to help the children of Abraham, believers. Jesus Christ has come to help believers to get through their difficulties, to get through their trials. The message that he has given us is meant to help us, to get through things, to get through these trials. In both cases, the Old Testament, the angels communicated the law. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ has communicated the gospel. Those, both of those were meant to help those who believe. In the Old Testament, it was the Jewish people. The law was given to the Jewish people. In the New Testament, the scriptures are given to believers. Matter of fact, we believe here at Grace that you can't even understand the scriptures if you're not a believer, the Spirit of God must reside in an individual before they will even, even understand the Scriptures. So they're meant to help us as believers. They're meant to guide us and strengthen us so that we can properly represent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So in both cases, the Word, the word was the means of grace to the one who listened The latter, obviously, in the New Testament was more significant because it was a message of grace. In the Old Testament, it was a message of works. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And then Romans 5 and verse 1 and 2, so faith is the result of hearing the word, results in faith. And then in Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace. We have access by this faith that comes from hearing the word of God. The word of God is central. We hear the word of God. It grows us in faith. It gives us access into this this grace. And it is this grace, according to the scripture, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand in which we stand firm as believers. And he goes on to say, and we, we not only stand firm, but we, we glory in persecution. And he talks about several other things that are about struggles in life. It is the grace of God that causes us to persevere through these difficulties. And he goes on to say, and we rejoice in, the, in, the, in, the, in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now let me say this very quickly and then very importantly some people would say, "Okay, so by reading my Bible, by staying close to my Bible, I then merit this grace." Let me let me rid that, we'll rid you of that thought right now. Okay? Grace is not merited by reading your Bible. Because grace cannot be merited. It is impossible to merit grace. Grace by its definition is unmeritable. It can never be deserved. If it's deserved, the Bible says it is no longer grace, but now it has become works. Okay? But, however, reading, meditating, and obeying the word bring us into the environment in which grace is flourishing. It brings us into the realm in which grace grows. It's not merited by what we have done. But it is an environment in which grace is going to flourish. That's my second point. The blessings of grace flourish in in an environment of the word. The blessings of grace flourish in an environment of the word. Where the word is, grace is. I wrote this simple antidote down. Maybe it would be helpful to you and maybe not. If you want to get a tan you go to a tanning salon, right? If you want to get money, you go to the bank. If you want to get healthy, you go to your doctor. If you want to get grace, you go to the Word. The Word of God is the environment in which grace is flourishing. You don't read the Bible to merit it or to make a demand on God. You read the Bible because it is the, it is the message of the gospel that brings about this grace. Again, go back to faith is from from reading the word and then faith leads us to access into this grace wherein we stand. So it begins with a closeness to the word. It leads to stronger faith, which leads to the acting on and depending on God's grace. Psalm 19, verses 7-7. Nine says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This is the power of the Word of God. Psalm one nineteen, the entire the entire psalm is full of how powerful the Word of God is. Psalm one nineteen verse eleven, you know it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. This is where grace flourishes. This is where strength comes from. And you, you guys all know this. This is not new to you. When you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're connected to the word, you have this strength that wasn't there before. You have this, 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 this unknown, unmerited strength that you didn't have before. It's because the grace of God flourishes in that environment. Let me give you three thoughts very quickly. Number one, read the word. Let the seed be sown in your heart. Let the seed be sown in your heart. It may fall on hard soil. It may fall on stony soil. It may fall on, on um, soil that has a lot of um, weeds and thorns. But here's the thing. The seed has to be there in order for there to be fruit produced. The seed has to be sown in order for there to be fruit produced. Okay, you can have the best soil in the world and not put seed on it and you will not bear any fruit. And you can have the worst soil in the world and put seed on it and possibly maybe bear some fruit. Put seed on your soil. You may open up the word of God and say, I just don't get it. Put seed on your soil. It might take root. It might be that the Holy Spirit of God doesn't think you're ready to receive what you're trying to get. Maybe there's something else. But put seed on your soil. Sow some seed into your life of the word of God and trust him to bring forth the fruits that he sees fit to bring forth. His word, the Bible says in Isaiah, will not return void. It will accomplish its purposes for which it was sent. The word of God will accomplish its purposes. There is no question of that. The reality of it is, is do we trust that promise enough to sow that seed in our lives, even when we don't get it? I've had lots of people come to me and say, Pastor John, when I open the word, it just doesn't make any sense to me keep putting that seed on your heart. It will make sense to you. Read the word. Sometimes read the word like you eat a meal. Okay? Sometimes read the word like you eat a meal. Don't worry about how it's going to digest. Right? Sometimes we, need to, sometimes we eat pretty fast, don't we? And there are times in your life spiritually where you need to just eat. You just need to feed on the word. You may not understand it all, you may not get it all, but the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, and there'll be a, there'll be a teaching that He'll be doing through the Word that you may not know is, is taking place. Feed on the Word like you eat a meal sometimes. Sometimes being quiet or being. Sometimes people quit on the Word and its blessing because they don't get it, they miss the grace because they don't sow the seed. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 4, when he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number two, first of all, read the word. Number two, meditate on the word. This is not just eating eating from the word of God. This is is enjoying it. This is when you're chewing on it because it's like candy. It's sweet to you. You're really really enjoying what the word of God says. You're, you're You're letting it nourish you. This is when it does make sense to you. This is when it is maybe one of those moments where it's really applicable to your situation. It's like, oh my goodness, this is is talking to me. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever felt like you open the Bible and it's like, okay, this is talking directly to me? Anybody ever open the Bible and say, I don't know who this is talking to? Okay, right? So on the one hand, you have to keep going. On the other hand, enjoy it. Feast on it. Take pleasure in it. Meditate on it. Chew on it. The Bible says in Psalm 1 and verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In other words, it's a pleasure to him to sit and to feed on the word of God, to think about it one of the good practices that you can do in your life is sometimes people take um, sometimes people enjoy reading as many verses as they can in a, in a series of in a passage of scripture right it's like if i can read more the better is going to happen sometimes it's just like reading that one verse and then committing and then committing in your heart that for that day that verse is going to be a theme i'm going to think about it i'm going to meditate on it and i'm going to do my best to obey it by the end of that day, you have a grasp on that verse because you have meditated on it. You have, let it. you have let it marinate in your mind and in your heart. So meditate on the word. Number three, obey the word. You know, obey the word. In God's economy, obedience often precedes understanding. A submissive heart often leads to to understanding. Abraham with Isaac, Noah, and the ark are two situations in which you see obedience preceding understanding. C.S. Lewis says this, obedience is the key that opens every door. Obedience is the key that opens every door. Psalm 111 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And then 1 Peter 3, 7 is a kind of a unique passage of scripture because it, it's, about, it's about marriage and how husbands treat their wives. But notice how disobeying the word of God when it comes to treating your wife properly, how it affects the grace that you experience in life. He says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the, what's the next word? Of the grace, of the graces of life. Your wife is an heir together with you of the graces of life. In other words, honor your wife in such a way as to understand that there are graces that come from you having the right relationship. If you don't have the right relationship with your wife, there are graces that are going to be lost. One of those being at the end of that verse that your prayers will be hindered. That's a a grace that God hears our prayers, right? It's a grace removed when we don't have a right relationship with our wife. Obedience to the word, if we know what the word teaches and we know what the word says and we refuse to hear it and to be submissive to it, it affects the grace that we experience. Obey the word. Do what it tells us to do in the limited possible way that we can and experience the grace of God further. Number three, the blessings of grace are forfeited when we drift or neglect the word. We see this here in the passage of scripture. He says, we must pay, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And then it says in verse number three, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So what does it mean to drift away from the word? What does it mean to drift away from the word? The word literally means to slip to, go, to glide by, to be carried by or to pass by. Something escapes me or slips my mind or I drift off. It's a nautical term that, taught, that uh, describing a ship that uh, is, loses its course because it drifts a little bit. And if you've ever heard the analogy of when somebody misses the mark by a, a little bit, if they're going a short distance, it's sometimes okay. But if you miss the mark by a short distance, and by a little bit, and you're going a long distance, by the time you reach your destination, you're quite a ways from where you want it to be. That's why it's important that when you're, when you're flying somewhere or you're on a ship that you don't get the, the uh, information almost right, right? There's a commercial out that says almost is not good enough, right? We know what that's like. We've got to make sure that we have the proper course. And the only way that we know that is by the word of God. When we begin to drift away from the word of God, when we begin to drift away from Bible study, devotions, meditation, obedience, sooner or later we find that we have no time for it. Anybody in here have the experience of, yeah, I'm going to just skip my devotions today and I'll get it back up tomorrow. And then tomorrow it was really easy to skip it again. What would you do? You drifted. You drifted. And the danger is, as you drift again and again and again until you have lost complete sight of the word of God. If the word of God is the means by which we experience grace and being connected to the word of God, we experience that grace, then drifting away from it is going to affect how we experience the grace of God. It's like a pot, a pitcher, if you will, that when it's, that is filled up, but it has a small leak in the bottom. Whatever you put into it, it slowly seeps out. You have to be diligent in making sure you notice that and you clog that up so that you can then retain what God has given you. Comforts, temptations will cause us to miss because we are not paying attention. We lose sight of what is important and we slowly begin to drift away. One of the the commentators that I read just said this, of how our churches today are a, a good example of this idea of drifting. It's not only drifting away from the word of God, but drifting away from the places that stand for the word of God. The church is the pillar and groundwork of the word of God, right? It's not just drifting away from it in your own personal life, but it's just drifting away from it being taught to you. When we drift, when we drift away from the word of God and what God has established, we lose some graces or we distance ourselves from these graces that God gives us. Matthew Henry says our minds and memories are like a leaky vessel; they do not, without much care, retain what is poured into them. This proceeds from the corruption of our nature, temptation, worldly cares, and pleasures. John MacArthur says, "Do not drift past God's grace." Proverbs four twenty through twenty two, my son, be attentive, be attentive to my words. "...incline your ears to my saying, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart, they, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh." Ephesians 4.14, "...so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves that carry about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." This is the danger of drifting, drifting away from those things that are valuable, drifting away from those things that bring about the graces that we receive. And then there's the idea of neglect at the end of of verse four. Neglect means to disregard, to make light of, to be negligent or careless. So when we neglect the word of God, it doesn't say reject the word of God, it says neglect the word of God. There's the idea of something that you have that you neglect. If you neglect your relationship with your wife, guess what? You're going to lose some graces that would come from having a good relationship with your wife. If you neglect the word of God, you're going to lose some graces that come from being being careful about the word of God. Neglecting means to be careless, to disregard, to make light of. means to minimize the word of God minimize its commands, minimize its warnings, minimize its promises. Some people minimize these things because they're afraid of what they'll bring about. They're afraid of facing the truth. They don't want to face the truth, so they learn in life to laugh the truth off. They neglect it. They make light of it because they don't want to face it. In Matthew 22, the story of the wedding feast, the scriptures tell those who hear, says, do not, do not neglect or do not count it lightly the invitation that you're receiving to this wedding feast. And we know that some neglected the invitation that they received from the wedding feast and they were not welcome at the wedding feast when they arrived. Do not neglect the word of God. Do not neglect its commands. Do not re- neglect its, its warnings. Do not neglect its promises. Do not break it apart and say, this is meant for me, and this is not meant for me. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy that the whole word, the word of God, is profitable. The whole thing, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it. You must not neglect the scriptures. The cause of this neglect and drifting, if you just want to write this down, four causes, four categories, if you will, of causes. Laziness. Lack of discernment, complacency, or comfort. Number two, lust, pride, greed, or self-centeredness. Number three, tribulation, persecution, cares, and riches. That's from Matthew 13. Number four, fear of judgment, accountability, and responsibility. So this grace is forfeited if we neglect the area in which it grows. We neglect the environment in which it grows. He goes on to say here in our text, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to by those who heard, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. The signs that are mentioned here are confirmation of the validity of the importance of God's word. The signs were very likely speaking in tongues that was given during the first century of the church to communicate the gospel in all languages. It was the opportunity to take the gospel into many different languages in which the gospel was not currently presented. It showed us the validity and really the universality of the effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the word of God. The signs The wonders and miracles are are affirmation to us of the power of the word of God. Jesus Christ walked across the earth healing people, speaking his word, and his word gave life. When he tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb in John 11, he says, Lazarus, come forth, and it was the power of the word of the Lord that that gave Lazarus life. Do you not think that the power of God's word is capable of giving giving you life? And not just life salvifically, but does it can it not give life to your to your daily functions? Is it not powerful enough to bring you from discouragement, from despondency? The word of God is, is significant to be able to do these things. That's why he uses these verses to describe it. It's like, hey, the, the signs and wonders and miracles were meant so that you would know that the word of God is sufficient. And not only is the word of God sufficient, but the person of the word of God, Jesus, he is the word of God, is sufficient. And then the spiritual gifts show us and confirm for us that the ministry of the ministry of the word, the word's ministry continues today and it continues in and through his people. This is where we get evidences, if you will, of the word of God. The last thing this morning is the blessings of grace are fostered. By locking into the word. The last thing I want to look at is the Bible says in verse one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must pay much closer attention to the word of God. All of the things that I that I preceded this last thought with are point to the significance of this first thought, of this last thought. It is this: we must lock in to the word. We must lock into the word. If the word is the source of faith that leads us to the grace that sustains us, we must lock into the word. We must keep from drifting or neglecting the word like nothing else in this life, not nothing, nothing more significant or nothing more important than the word of God. That's literally what this means. It means to put a higher level of devotion to the word of God than anything else if you could escalate something on your priority list and get it directly from God's word, that is what he's saying right here. If if grace comes through a closeness to the word of God and it is grace by which we live life effectively, it makes sense to put the word of God on a high pedestal in our priority list. Amen? It's true. The word ought here, it says we must, we ought, we must pay closer attention. We must pay closer attention means this is necessary. It's not something that is to be neglected. It is the idea of this is the necessary thing. This is of necessity. And then the more earnest heed means that it elevates. The more earnest just elevates it above anything else. More earnest heed And then the word heed just means to bring close, to bring, it's again another nautical term that means to bring into shore, to put down an anchor, to settle. There are some things in the word of God that we need to settle on. There are some things in the word of God that we need to pay closer attention to. Settle on some doctrines in the scriptures. Pay serious attention to the word of God. Lock yourself down to the word commit and devote a, a, commit and devote a session of time each day to simply diving into God's word if you knew it was possible if you spent an hour a day searching for a million dollars that's hidden in your backyard and you were promised that you were going to gain it you were going to get it you were going to find it one day all you had to do was guarantee them that you would spend an hour a day searching for it how many of you would search for it if you were confident in the promise most of us would search for it every day Here is an amazing promise from God's word that you can find more than a million dollars because this is not about money, it's about wisdom. But you have to lock yourself into the word. You've got to commit yourself to becoming a student of God's word. I said this a couple of weeks ago and I'll say it again this, this morning. If you know blessing is to be found in a room, get in that room and lock yourself in that room until you find that blessing. Don't allow any reason or temptation to cause you to leave. I'm mindful of Genesis 32, verse 25 and 26, where where Jacob wrestles with God all night. He wrestles with God all night, and the scripture says this about Jacob, that he would not let go of the angel, of the man, until he blessed him. In other words, he would not stop wrestling until he received the blessing. And some of us need to have that attitude towards the word of God. John 15 tells us, abide in me and my word abide in you. You will bear much fruit. Psalm 119.11, I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In closing, lock in, friend. The road is long and rough, and many will drift and neglect the truth. You must buckle up, hold on tight, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and your heart fixed on his word. Like a roller coaster ride, safety and trust trust come from being locked in, strapped in, seat belted, or harnessed. Safety and trust in the Christian life comes from being locked in, fixed in, harnessed in the word of God and Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in two passages of scripture, and I'm gonna close with this. Chapter two, chapter three and verse one. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus and then he tells us in chapter 12 and verse 1, he tells us this, therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us closely and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us looking to Jesus. Who is the word? Jesus is the word. Who is going to get us through our daily struggles? Jesus is going to get us through our daily struggles. How do we become familiar with Jesus? How do we know Jesus? We know him and become familiar with him through his message, which is written to us in his word. Isaiah 45, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Father, we thank you so much for the word that you've given us, the message that we have that gives us strength for the day that saves us, the hope that we have as we walk closely in it that we will experience that strength and that power to get through the different struggles that we have in this life. We pray your blessing upon the remainder of this day. May this message and your word strengthen this group of people. They would go home and apply it and make a strong emphasis on your word in their life.